Hello, welcome to Cup of Taboo, where I discuss all things considered taboo. I am your host, Tyler, and today I will be talking about a topic that is still hotly debated in South Africa, Oscar Pistorius. Oscar was a national treasure in his day. He was known as the Blade Runner because of his spectacular running ability, despite not having lower legs, until he killed his girlfriend, Rebus Dienkamp, on Valentine's Day in 2013, which is why I'm covering the case this month, part of, like, the Valentine's month, you know? Anyway, I hope that you are ready for your weekly dose of strange, dark, and terrible, served in your cup of taboo. Warning, this episode contains content that some listeners might find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. So, I just want you to know, I have, I like, I definitely have case ADD. I was busy researching for another case, and then I remembered that this happened, I got sucked into it, and bam, this is my case now. The other one, you know, it's going to have to wait. Sorry, if I'm not feeling something, I won't be able to deliver it with the oomph and the gusto that you guys deserve. You know? So, yeah, I'm also sitting recording this in my car at the office, because... I didn't have time to do it at home. So here we are in the car in a factory parking lot. <laughs> anyway, let me start with Oscar. It is still something that people get very touchy on. It's still, there's Team Oscar and Team Not Oscar and that's it. It's been like nine years, eight, nine years, 2013. How long ago was that? It was a while. Yeah, it was a while ago. Oscar Leonard Carl Pistorius was born on the 22nd of November 1986, which makes him a Sagittarius. You see what I'm saying? He's the same as big old Ed from, I mean, Ed Kemper. Anyway, he's 36 years old right now at the time of this episode. So, wait, no, wait, 35. 36? Somewhere around about there. Whatever. He was born in Johannesburg, South Africa, to a Sheila Pistorius and Hink Pistorius. Unfortunately, Oscar was born with a deformity that left him with no fibula bone in either of his legs. This condition is called fibula hemimelia, which according to rarediseases.com is a congenital longitudinal is a congenital longitudinal try say this fast six times. It is a congenital longitudinal limb deficiency characterized by complete or partial absence of the fibula bone. Just to explain it a little further, the lower part of your leg from your knee to your ankle has two bones, called the tibia and the fibula. Now the tibia is the shin bone, that's the big strong one in the front of the leg. And the fibula is like a skinny little bone that sits behind that. So the fibula is there to support the tibia and it helps to stabilize the ankle and the lower leg muscles. So now that the anatomy lesson is over, he was basically born without a fibula. So the doctors told his parents that the best course of action would be to amputate both legs below the knees while he was still a baby so that he could cope better with his lack of lower limbs. The other option would have been very expensive and painful surgeries which were not guaranteed to work. So Oscar's parents made the very difficult decision to have both of his legs amputated when he was 11 months old. 
Oscar was said to have been a very headstrong child. Um, he was determined to not let his disability get in the way of him. You know, having a great childhood. He grew up with no legs, so it was probably very normal for him. Like, he didn't know any different. He didn't know what it was like to have legs, so he was said to be quite happy, but he was also, like, insistent that he was treated normal. He attended Constantia Clough Primary School, and then he went to Pretoria Boys High School. He was well-liked by his peers, and he was by no means a stupid kid. He did well-ish in school, you know, but his sports... That's what he was into. He was into the sports. So in high school, he played rugby very well, apparently. He did wrestling, he played tennis, and he also played water polo. So all of these things are absolutely amazing if you consider the fact that he didn't have legs and he had prosthetic limbs at the time. And he was playing with able-bodied people. In 2003, Oscar had a really terrible knee injury while playing rugby, and he was told that he absolutely could not continue with rugby because it would cause way too many complications, which was obviously upsetting to him because he was good at rugby. He was being looked at by scouts and that was what he wanted to do. So he required months of rehab to work on the injury. And while at the University of Pretoria's High Performance Center, this is where his rehab sessions were, a sports coach, na- a sports coach named Umpy Lowe noticed his running skills. He suggested that Oscar try running competitively and Oscar was like, oh, I'll try. But he needed special blades to be able to go as fast as he could. And one of South Africa's top prosthetists, prosthetists, wow, the people who make prosthetics, Francois Fadavat, designed some for him, but Oscar was too quick and they broke. Eventually, an American Paralympic athlete named Brian Frazier and Oscar got in touch and he assisted Oscar in getting his perfect plates. So at this time, Oscar was around 20 years old. He was studying his degree in business management and sports sciences at the University of Pretoria and he was now starting his running career. He proved to be a very capable runner, and in 2004, he decided to compete in the T44 category instead of the T43 category. Quick explainer here, when an athlete has a disability, they need to go through a classification process to ensure that the events will be as fair as possible, and each sport has its own classifications. In the running events, when there is missing lower limb, they are categorized into the following categories. T42 is a single above-the-knee amputee or athlete with other impairments that are comparable to a single amputation. T43 is a double below-the-knee amputee and other athletes with similar impairments. And a T44 is someone who has an A below-the-knee lower limb impairment that meets minimum disability criteria. So it must be noted that now T43 and T44 categories have been combined due to the low participation rates in the T43 category, but back then they were separate. So that being said, Oscar chose to compete against the people who were less impaired than what he was, essentially. Making it more difficult for him to win. So if he competed in the T43 category, that is a much higher level of disability to somebody who was in the T44 category. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm missing both my legs, but I'll, I'll compete against the people that have got the minimum level of disability. He did incredibly well and he won many medals and he even decided like that he wanted to compete against like in quotes able-bodied people able-bodied athletes he was like i want to go to the olympics and not the paralympics and i want to compete there and uh so that was his that was his goal there was some controversy in 2007-8 when it was said that his blades actually gave him an advantage in the sport against competitors who did not have such prostheses And on the 14th of January 2008, it was ruled that his blades did in fact give him an advantage. But he was a fighter and he fought against the rules and the ruling, sorry, and it took it and 
he took it to the Court of Arbitration for Sport in Switzerland, and there they agreed that the advantages and disadvantages of running with those specific blades cancelled each other out, and the ban was lifted. In 2008, he won gold medals in the 100m, 200m and 400m races in the T44 category at the Paralympics, and he also broke some Paralympic records while he was at it. He carried on soaring in his running, and he became quite the celebrity because of it. In South Africa, nothing quite brings us together like sports, really. So in 2012, he became the first double amputee to compete against able-bodied, able-bodied athletes in the relay race. He was doing so well in his life. And he was just really, he had sponsors, he was doing well financially, he was really doing well in his sports. And then in 2012, shortly after the Olympics, Oscar met Rivas Dienkamp. Rivas Dienkamp was a model who was born on the 19th of August in 1983 in Cape Town to Barry and June Dienkamp. Her family then moved to Port Elizabeth, where her parents struggled to make a living in the horse racing world. She was absolutely stunning. You know, like super model vibes. Just gorgeous, 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 I tell you. She was described as compassionate, funny and kind. She started modeling when she was around 15 years old. And then she started studying law. And while she studied, she also, you know, did some modeling here and there. And that was what she did. She wanted to get into acting, so she did a few acting gigs and you know it was just kind of like she was that's what she wanted to do and she was apparently also very headstrong she would put her head to something and she would get it her first serious boyfriend was a jockey who she dated for around six years it is alleged that this was an emotionally abusive relationship and they eventually broke up she had a horse riding accident which nearly resulted in her being disabled but she ended up being okay she was bedridden for like a year or something like that so and this was also in her final year of her law degree she had to lie still for very long. So she eventually completed, completed her law degree at NMMU, Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University, in 2005. And that same year, she was chosen to be the first South African face of the brand Avon. She moved to Johannesburg that year as well. She met an entrepreneur that she dated for four years. And in 2008, she went to visit her mom in PE. And she had the unfortunate experience of an armed robbery. Her mom and her managed to lock themselves in the bedroom where the people tried to break the door down. The people who were trying to get to them got, I think, spooked and they left. She was left scared and afraid and her boyfriend at the time said that after after this event, everything scared her and she was always on high alert. She became a popular face in the men's magazine FHM and she, like I said, wanted to be on TV. And she was cast as a contestant in a reality TV show called Tropica Island of Treasure, which was filmed in 2012. Months before she went to Jamaica to film, she broke up with her boyfriend and she was briefly involved with the rugby player Andre Hogart. And then shortly after she returned from her filming, she met Oscar. In the beginning of their relationship, it was said to have been pure love. Oscar was said to have treated Reva like an actual princess, cooking for her, driving her around, all, you know, all the nice things that everybody wants. She said that she would marry him if he asked. And one of Reva's friends mentioned that she, the love started to get like overwhelming when the relationship started to experience, like started to get better. And that caused the experience to start, the, the relationship to start to experience some strain. But they were apparently incredibly in love. Oscar owned a house in a security estate in Silver Lakes, Pretoria, called Silverwood Estate, and his house was valued at around 5 million rand. Reva didn't live with him because they had only been seeing each other for a while, but she did visit quite often. 
In 2013, Reva was preparing for her TV debut on the Tropical Island of Treasure show. Um, this was due to be released at the end of February. And she was also, at that time, deeply saddened by the rape and brutal murder of Anine Boyson. She was incredibly passionate about standing up against violence against women. And she was set to do a speech at Sandown High School on the topic of gender-based violence on the 14th of February 2013. She unfortunately never got the chance to make that speech. On the 13th of February, Reva decided that she was going to visit Oscar for Valentine's Day the next day, and she arrived at around 6pm at his estate. In the very early hours of February 14, 2013, Oscar Pistorius shot Reva Steenkamp three times. She passed away shortly thereafter. The news absolutely rocked the entire nation. Reva was only 29 years old. When emergency personnel arrived at the athlete's house in the gated security estate in Pretoria, they found her body at the bottom of the stairs covered in blood and towels. Oscar was there, apparently visibly traumatized and shaking. And I just want to quickly describe the house so that you can kind of have like a mental picture. So as you walk through the front door, there's a staircase. If you go up the staircase, you turn right, you would go into the main bedroom. If you turn left, Oscar's king-size bed was so if you turn left into the bedroom his king-size bed was there the door is behind you a sliding door is to your right and a passage of about seven meters to your left leads into a bathroom it's got cupboards and stuff in it and then if you turn right you enter the bathroom where there's a corner bath in front of you directly and to your left you have a single toilet with a door a shower with a door and then on the right hand side you've got the basins so according to Oscar, this is how the events happened. This was in his um, his bail application statement, so in quotes. On the 13th of February 2013, Reva would have gone out with her friends and I with my friends. Reva then called me and asked that we rather spend the evening at home. I agreed and we were co- content to have a quiet dinner together at home. By about 10pm on the 13th of February 2013, we were in our bedroom. She was doing her yoga exercises and I was in bed watching television. My prosthetic legs were off. We were deeply in love and I could not be happier. I know she felt the same way. She had given me a present for Valentine's Day but asked me only to open it the next day. After Reva finished her exercises, she got into bed and we both fell asleep. I'm acutely aware of the violent crime being committed by intruders entering homes with a view to commit crime, including violent crime. I have received death threats before. I have also been a victim of violence and of burglaries before, and for that reason I kept my firearm a 9mm parabellum underneath my bed when I went to bed at night. During the early morning hours of 14th February 2013, I woke up, went onto the balcony to bring the fan in and closed the sliding doors, the blinds and the curtains. I heard a noise in the bathroom and realized that someone was in the bathroom. I felt a sense of terror rushing over me. There are no burglar bars across the bathroom window and I knew the contractors who worked at my house had left the ladders outside. Although I did not have my prosthetic legs on, I have my mobility on my stumps. I believed, that, I believed that someone had entered my house. I was too scared to switch a light on. I grabbed my 9mm pistol from underneath my bed. On my way to the bathroom, I screamed words to the effect for him or them to get out of my house and for Reva to phone the police. It was pitch dark in the bedroom and I thought Reva was in bed. I noticed that the bathroom window was open. I realized that the intruders was or were in the toilet because the door was closed and I did not see anyone in the bathroom. I heard movement inside the toilet. 
The toilet is inside the bathroom and has a separate door. It filled me with horror and fear of an intruder or intruders being inside the toilet. I thought he or they must have entered through the unprotected window. As I did not have my prosthetic legs on and felt extremely vulnerable, I knew I had to protect Reva and myself. I believed that when the intruders came out of the toilet, we would be in grave danger. I felt trapped in, as my bedroom door was locked and I have limited mobility on my stumps. I fired shots at the toilet door and shouted to Reva to phone the police. She did not respond and I moved backwards out of the bathroom, keeping my eyes on the bathroom entrance. Everything was pitch dark in the bedroom and I was still too scared to switch on a light. Reva was not responding. When I reached the bed, I realized that Reva was not in bed. That is when it dawned on me that it could have been Reva who was in the toilet. I returned to the bathroom, calling her name. I tried to open the door, but it was locked. I rushed back into the bedroom and opened the sliding door, exiting onto the balcony and screamed for help. I put on my prosthetic legs, ran back to the bathroom and tried to kick the toilet door open. I think I must then have turned on the lights. I went back into the bedroom and grabbed my cricket bat to bash open the toilet door. A panel or panels broke off and I found the key on the floor and unlocked and opened the door. Reva was slumped over but alive. I battled to get her out of the toilet and pulled her into the bathroom. I phoned Johann Stander, who was involved in the administration of the estate, and asked him to phone the ambulance. I phoned Netke and asked for help. I went downstairs to open the front door. I returned to the bathroom and picked Reva up as I had been told not to wait for paramedics, but to take her to a hospital. I carried her downstairs in order to take her to the hospital. On my way down, Stander arrived. A doctor who lives in the complex also arrived. Downstairs, I tried to render assistance to Reva that I could, but she died in my arms. I am absolutely mortified by the events and the devastating loss of my beloved Reva. With the benefit of hindsight, I believe that Reva went to the toilet when I went outside to, on the balcony to bring in the fan. I could, cannot bear to think of the suffering I have caused her and her family, knowing how much she was loved. I also know that the events of that tragic night were as I described them and not and that in due course I have no doubt that the police and expert investigators will hear, will bear this out. End quotes. So this obviously was like wild. And I still remember where I was when I heard it on the radio. I was driving to Bits University and I think I think it was Gareth Cliff who was talking about it on the radio and I was just I was shook at I tell you, shook at everyone. It was the, the only thing that people spoke about for ages. There were immediately two teams, if you will, Team Oscar, who believed that he would never do such a thing, and then Team Not Oscar, who were appalled and disgusted by what had happened, and were convinced that he had planned this, and he did this because there was a fight, or she was threatening to expose him for something, so there was two, two camps immediately. And obviously, with any celebrity scandal, news started leaking out from all sides, some truth, some not at all, and this then caused even more controversy. It was said that shouting and screaming had been heard and that there was a bloodied cricket bat and drugs or steroids under the bed. And like, as an outsider who's hearing all this, you can see how bad it all looks. But I'm going to rather go into the trial to the best of my ability with this one. Um, I, first of all, am very bad with law <laughs> and law terms and legal stuff. But I also want you to know that I don't really have a stance. I am going to try and remain as... Um, impartial as possible I'm going to try and remain as neutral as possible I will be Switzerland and um, yeah so that being said I'm going to jump into the trial so after this happened sorry just one of the things that I, I just remembered that happened um, shortly after this event happened Nike or Nike was one of Oscar's sponsors and he had a campaign which was running which it's like terrible irony 
But on the campaign, there was a picture of Oscar running and it said at the bottom, I am the bullet in the chamber. So yeah, that got pulled very quickly after, after this happened. On the 19th of February 2013, he had his bail hearing start where he insisted that he did not plan to kill Reva. And on this day, Reva was also laid to rest. So that was her the day of her funeral. The bail hearing lasted four days and Oscar was granted bail of 1 million rand, which was around $120,000 at that time. The case was postponed until the 4th of June. Something that needs to be noted is that this case was incredibly public. Like I said earlier, images of the crime scene were released on the news. Everyone had an opinion on what they thought happened and it was just, it was buzzing. So this needed to be considered for the trial because obviously you cannot allow the public opinion to influence the the matter at hand as well as the fact that people were insisting that the trial be televised which it was the entire trial was recorded and you can find the whole thing on youtube which it's a long it's a long trial i would suggest not it's very long very boring i mean anyway so it was scheduled to start to run from the 3rd of march to the 20th of march <laughs> 2014 it went way longer so on the 3rd of March, the trial started. Harry Nell, who's also known as the Bulldog, was the lawyer for the state, and Barry Roo was the defense attorney. The judge was Judge Tokozile Masipa. Oscar was up for a few gun charges on top of the murder charge of Reva Stiankam. But we're not going to focus on the gun charges because that's a completely different thing. I am not going to go through day-to-day -day coverage because then I will be here for a good few hours, and I'm just going to rather just focus on the things that were what I've thought were big things i will link an like a really good article in the show notes if you're interested in reading it if they've got a like a little summary of each day i think the trial was 40 something days so be prepared to read a lot oscar played not guilty to the murder of rivas dienkamp he admitted that his actions caused her death but he insisted that he did not plan or premeditate her death the trial started with witness statements and the first couple of witnesses were people who lived in the estate and they said that they heard blood-curdling screams coming from the house followed by gunshots and they insisted that the screams were women and the loud banging sounds they were like no these definitely were gunshots the defense argued that the sounds of screaming were actually that of oscar after he had realized what had happened and the banging sounds after the screaming was the cricket bat breaking down the door the state argued that Reva and Oscar had been arguing and the neighbors heard that fight and then the shots were fired. So obviously the order of events were incredibly important in this case because one, they make a massive difference. So there is a video that I watched, which I will also link in the show notes, where two independent lawyers set out to determine which points were likely to be true and which not. They did an acoustics test and they had a professional play and argument between a man and a woman at around the correct decibel point and they went and they stood 300 meters away which is the distance that the witnesses were said to have been at and they tried to see if they could hear anything they could not they then walked forward until i think they got to about 150 meters and then they started hearing something but they couldn't hear anything loudly and then in court it was also determined later that the sound of a cricket bat smashing into a door is very similar to that of gunshots a forensic pathologist named Gert Seiman took the stand. He stated that the bullets that Oscar used were expanding bullets called black talons that were designed to cause maximum damage. And 
Gruesome images of Reva were then shown in the courtroom, causing Oscar to be violently sick in a bucket. So it was then said that because they were filming live, it was then determined that they needed to then start filming slightly, like a releasing footage slightly delayed so that if there was any violent images or vomiting, it wouldn't be shown to the public. It was put forward that Reva had food in her stomach, which suggested that she had eaten only two hours before her death which would have been 1am, contradicting what Oscar had said about going to bed at around 10pm. Um, a mobile phone expert named Francois Moller read out a few WhatsApp messages between Oscar and Reva, and the most damning one said, "You have This is from Reva, in quotes. You have picked on me excessively. I do everything to make you happy, and you do everything to throw tantrums. I'm scared of you sometimes and how you snap at me and of how you will react to me. You make me happy 90% of the time, and I think we are amazing together. I'm the girl who fell in love with you, but I'm also the girl who gets sidestepped when you're in a shit mood. I get snapped at and told my accent and voices are annoying." Unquote. But he did, the, uh, the Francois Moller, the police phone dude, he did also mention that 90% of the messages between the two were loving and normal. It sounded like a very normal relationship. I mean, you're going to have bad days where you're going to snap at people and they're going to re- retaliate. But anyway. Um, on day 15 of the trial, the state finished its case. They mentioned that on the night of the incident, the calls made by Oscar's phone to, were to security, the ambulance, then to his friend, his brother, and his manager. So the state's case was that Oscar was violent towards Reva, and she was afraid of her, and they alleged that they had gotten into a massive fight on the night of the incident, and that Reva ran to the bathroom, fearing for her life and to try and get away from Oscar, and that he, in a fit of rage, opened fire on the door, intending to kill her. The trial was adjourned after one of the judge's assessors fell ill and it only continued again on the 7th of April. So when the court returned on day 17, the defense opened its case and Oscar was put onto the stand. He started with a very emotional apology to the Stiankam family. He said that he prays every day and he went on to mention that he was taking antidepressants and sleeping tablets since the incident. He also mentioned his extreme fear and experience of crime from a young age. While he was on the stand, Harinal was ruthless and he showed him pictures of Reva's wounds. Oscar broke down and said, you don't need to show me those, I was there. I mean, it's an incredibly emotional scene to watch, because I mean, like I said, you can watch it, it's there. Nell also showed a video of Oscar at a shooting range in the past where he shot at a watermelon and explained that, in quotes, it's softer than brains, but it's definitely a zombie stopper. Unquote. Which obviously doesn't sound good for Oscar and Harry really he was like how you know you actually shot Reva's brains out and this obviously affected Oscar quite badly. It was it was very like Harry Nell was literally the bulldog name suits him. So after four days of brutal grilling by Nell, Barry Rue asked Oscar Oscar about the Valentine's card he would have received from Reva and it read Roses are red, violets are blue. I think today is a good day to tell you I love you, which is very sweet. The defense then called up two more witnesses, Johan Stander and his daughter, Karis Fulyun. They were the first people on the scene and, you know, Oscar called Johan when it happened and he said to him, Johan, please, please come to my house. Please, I shot Reva. I thought she was an intruder. Please, please come quick. They both gave evidence that there was very little control at the scene and there were people entering and leaving with no preventative measures at all. They also said that he was completely shaken and just covered in blood when they arrived and he he looked very taken aback in a way. 
The defense then called up a separate ballistics expert who stated that it was not the black talon bullets that are made to cause as much damage as possible that were used as previously stated, but rather something called ranger bullets, which creates like a similar mushroom effect on the flesh when it, it pierces the skin. Um, an anesthesiologist also came forward in, to cast doubt on the state's claims about Reva having eaten no more than two hours before her death, claiming that gastric emptying is not an exact science. The ballistics expert also continued and said that Reva was standing close behind the door and when the first bullet hit her, it hit her in the hip, then the next hit her arm and as she was falling, the next bullet hit her head, hit her in the head, causing the head wound that killed her. The ballistics expert also stated that the bruise on Reva's back was caused by her hitting the magazine rack in the bathroom and not because of a ricocheting bullet hitting her in the back as the state had suggested. On day 30 of the trial, the prosecution announced that they wanted Oscar to go for a mental evaluation and this came after a witness for the defense, Dr. Merrill Foster, said that Oscar suffered from generalized anxiety disorder at the time of the shooting and a depressive disorder following it. This doctor said that Oscar's disability left him hypervigilant about his personal safety because he knew that he was not able to get away if something were to go wrong. Another interesting point was that because of how strong-willed Oscar was growing up, determined to be as normal as possible, he didn't get the emotional support that he actually needed as a double amputee, leading like, to this anxiety into adulthood. The state made the formal application to send Oscar to a mental health hospital for 30 days, and he was then told to spend 30 days at Vescopi State Psychiatric Hospital in Pretoria beginning on the 26th of May. He had to attend every weekday between 9am and 4pm. And the trial was then adjourned until the 30th of June. So the report by Vescopi's hospital's lead psychologist, or psychiatrist, Johannes Schultz, concluded that Pistorius had been severely traumatized by the events of 14th of February 2013. He was suffering from depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, and his condition was likely to worsen if he did not continue mental health treatment, which was a concern for suicide. They did state that there was no evidence of narcissism, psychopathy, abnormal aggression, or explosive anger, and his relationship with Rivas Dienkamp shows no evidence of abuse. But the report did say that Pistorius did not meet the requirements for a diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder. On the 7th of August, which was day 40 of the trial, the court heard closing arguments by the prosecution. They stated that by fetching the gun and going down the almost 7-meter corridor to the bathroom showed premeditation. They also argue that no matter who was behind that door, Oscar was guilty of murder. Nell said that whether it was Reva or an intruder, Oscar would be guilty by murder of, I think it's Dolus Directus, premeditated murder or Dolus Eventualis, that he must have known that somebody would die if he fired those shots. Nell insisted that Oscar knew it was Reva and that Reva was in the bathroom out of fear and that it was not just a, a wild shooting but a controlled grouping of shots. On day 41, the defense wrapped up its arguments. Barry Rue compared Oscar's years of disability to an abused woman who snaps and kills her husband. He clarified by saying that it is a slow burn and the shooting was reflexive. The defense then also went on to say that Oscar should be acquitted because the firing of the gun was a reflex thing and that he had no criminal capacity. It was putative private defense in his eyes, self-defense in other words, and there was no motive to kill Weaver. Judge Masipa gave her judgment on the 11th of September 2014. She ruled 
out that she would judge Oscar guilty of murder and said that the state failed to prove premeditated murder beyond a reasonable doubt and that the evidence was purely circumstantial. She also stated that he would not be found guilty of murder without premeditation, dolus eventualis. As Judge Masipa said, there was not sufficient evidence to suggest that he had foreseen that his actions could result in the death of the person behind the door. She did state, however, that Pistorius acted unlawfully and that because of his negligence, there is now a dead person. A reasonable person would not have fired four shots into a door. Oscar was found guilty of culpable homicide for shooting Rufus Youngkamp, resulting in her death. He was sentenced to five years in prison. After serving just over a year in the maximum security prison in Pretoria, he was released on in October 2015 to serve the rest of his sentence under house arrest. But this did not last long for him, because on the 3rd of December, the court appeal overturned the judgment Oh, the Court of Appeal overturned the judgment and convicted him of murder. He was then sentenced to an additional 13 years in prison. And he is currently in prison in Kruberge, or P, and he is apparently set to be released early next year. So some points that I would like to mention as a complete outsider, um, like my opinions of the case. Like I said, I've, I'm on no side. I don't take a side. I'm just saying, back in the day when it happened, I thought to myself, he killed someone, that's it. Like, like you know, like the bulldog said, he, he shot at that door and whether it was Revo or somebody else, somebody died. So that happened. Uh, if you do look at the shots on the door, they are quite low. And I mean, I think you sort of imagine that when you shoot someone in the leg, they're not going to die. So I'm thinking... Maybe he thought that if he... Uh, I mean, he was also on his stumps when he shot. So he probably thought if I shoot just below the door handle, I'll hit them in the leg, they won't die, but they at least won't be able to hurt me kind of thing. But the, I don't think you take into account that the person will fall. And he said that he shot in very quick succession. So it was just really tragic what had happened. So some of the things that I want to know is why did he keep his fans on his stool? on the balcony why were the fans outside that's not where fans belong fans don't work like that like why are they outside and he also said that he went to close the sliding door after he brought the fans inside so the door was open then while they were sleeping if he was so afraid of intruders why would he sleep with the door open you hear what i'm saying he then also mentioned that he spoke to Reva when he got up to get the fans and so when he got up to get them he said something to her she responded she could have just gone to the bathroom taking her phone with her as a light source and when he heard a noise he shouted out to tell her to call the police so i know from my side if my partner said there was an intruder in the house i would immediately lock myself into that toilet for safety and i would keep incredibly quiet and still and because i would be terrified you, you have that that feeling of absolute terror and fear and we know that Riva had experienced a traumatic event where she did lock herself and her mother in a room. So I can imagine that if it was me, I would probably do, I would lock myself in the bathroom and I would stand quiet and still until Oscar or this, the, it, until my partner said to me, never mind, it's been sorted, there's no one here. Because she didn't know that he was talking about the noise that she had made in the toilet. Um, so. Yeah, people argued that, you know, why would she have a phone with her? And I, like, for me, would probably say that she used it as a light because I do that now in my own house. If I turn a light on, I'm done, I'm awake. But if I use my ambient phone light, I can see my way to the bathroom and not burn out the corners of my eyes. 
People also argue that Reva would have screamed after being shot the first time and that Oscar would have heard it. But he did say it happened very quickly and he was also in a very small space, which means he probably couldn't hear a thing after his first shot. Like, have you ever heard a, a gunshot? It's incredibly loud. Um, so, yeah, that's that. The other thing is he literally had nothing to gain by murdering Reva. There was no financial gain. They had no shared assets. Killing her would ruin his entire life, which is exactly what it has done. I I don't know. So the other thing is Reva's bladder was empty, so she did. And there was no urine on her pants. So she went to the toilet. She used the toilet. I think if somebody was running for their life, scared of somebody, they wouldn't quickly have a wee and then stand there and be afraid. I think that she went to go have her wee and then... She heard Oscar say the thing, and apparently it was incredibly dark in the room. So the the other the other points that were brought up was why didn't he feel on the bed for for Reva? And and why didn't he try and talk to her before he went? And that was part of why he was then found guilty of murder, because he acted recklessly. He didn't do what any reasonable person would do. But they also then had to take into account his his disability. A reasonable person suffering with the same disability would probably have acted very different to a reasonable person without that disability. Because you don't have that mobility, you're afraid, you're, you're slightly more afraid, you're... Anyway, so, like I said, I'm on no side, but, like, the books that I read, because I've read lots, have been very interesting, and, like, the one was, they just brought out all these points, like, why would this happen, why would this happen? So, like, I want to know, why were the fans on the, the thingy? Um, why did he shoot at the door in the dark? Like, it doesn't make any sense, but you also can't put your, like, you can't say it because you weren't there. Like, I can't put myself in his shoes, unfortunately. I can say what I think could have happened. I can also say, in every different way, I can say, okay, maybe they did have a fight and maybe she threatened to expose him for doping or something like that. And he was like, oh no, you will not. And then that happened. But you just, you don't know. The only person who actually knows is Oscar. And I'm going to be honest, for the, the longest time I was against him, I was like, no, he murdered someone, he killed someone, and that's that. That's, no matter who it was, that person is dead. Like, that's it. But now that I've grown up, I've seen some really terrible, horrible, tragic mistakes can happen. And it's really, really very sad when you see these massive mistakes and you know that it could have been prevented, but it happened and you cannot take it back. And there's nothing that they can do or nothing that you can do once you've done that thing. And you can just look back and be like, well, crap. So anyway, I like I said, I was very against Oscar in the beginning. Now I'm very neutral. He made, he, he did kill someone. He's now serving his time. I, you know, I, I don't have an opinion, so I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm just going to. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> another like another story that I saw was the rugby player Rudy Pasahi back in 2004. He mistook his daughter for a thief and he shot and killed her, his own daughter, in 2004. Imagine that happening. Now, I'm, I, you look at that because he thought that somebody was stealing her car. It was her getting in her own car. And he shot at the car and she ended up dying. He, he also served some time. But I mean, the problem here is guns, if we're being honest. The amount of tragedy and turmoil that could be avoided in general in the world if guns were never invented is immeasurable like if if you had to think about it the guns are such a big problem all of the school shootings if gun control and if there were gun 
don't do if there were no guns that would all of that tragedy could be avoided but anyway that's a topic for another day completely sidetracked um so yeah that is my episode on oscar pistorius the blade runner um bloody valentine <laughs> yeah it's incredibly sad and it's unfortunate that this happened but it did happen and it can't be taken back now right so yeah i hope that you guys keep on listening that would be amazing if you enjoyed the episode please consider giving it a like and a rating and a, a follow and all that kind of stuff and yeah follow me on social media and send me an email if you have any suggestions i will see you guys next week thank you for listening bye I know some things I don't know. I know some things I don't know. I know some things I don't know.